is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Baseball's back, unlike last year. Fans in the stands. Are you safe at a game with a reduced capacity crowd? Looking into the global crystal ball, things do not look all that great. The U.S. intelligence community painting a bleak picture of our collective future. A lot of restaurants finally get to display their open sign again, but a lot of places still struggling, and this time it's to hire people, servers and cooks. Billionaires are big winners during the COVID-19 pandemic, but we have more losers across the country with countless Americans still worried about how to get by. And we rediscover things during the pandemic, one of them roller skating, making a comeback. Get your peanuts and Cracker Jacks ready. Baseball is back, and finally fans can watch their favorite team play in person. And here in L.A., the Dodgers celebrated their World Series championship today in front of fans for the very first time. Roughly 15,000 fans allowed to watch the home opener in Chavez Ravine, which is a far cry from the scenes from the Texas Rangers game earlier this week with 50,000 fans in attendance. Dr. Donald Milton, professor of environmental health and airborne viral transmission, University of Maryland School of Public Health. All right, so uh, let's see, 15,000 of your best pals, <laughs> you know, crammed together or maybe not so crammed together in the stadium. It's outdoors. Presumably, people will be to some degree wearing masks. I suspect some won't. Uh, safe, not safe? What is it? Well, so... Uh, this stadium is not going to be at capacity. Is that correct? They're going to. It's going to be a, a little bit sparser than you would like to. Oh, definitely. From the point of view of selling tickets. So, yes. yeah, you know, I I think that um, I, I worry about people packed in a full capacity stadium, even outdoors, because um, you know it's you're if you're in the plume of somebody else's breath. Um, it doesn't necessarily disperse right away, right? So, I mean, if somebody were smoking right in front of you and it's blowing right back into your face, you're going to be exposed. So there'll be some of that. But if it's outdoors um, and people are spread out a little bit, um, you know, and hopefully we've got a lot of people getting vaccinated now. Um you know, it's it's certainly better than it would have been uh, a few months ago, and uh, uh, I we have hopefully gotten a lot of the people who are most susceptible to getting really sick vaccinated, and that'll help. Yeah, so I guess we just play the mental games, right? And we've been doing it the whole pandemic. How close am I to somebody? How long am I near that somebody? If it's a couple hours and there's a guy right in front of me, then maybe there's more danger of them spacing the groups out. You know, here's your family, and then three rows, and here's the next guy, and then three more rows. That's probably a different story. So it's a calculation you got to make, and then especially if you got a vaccine, you're probably feeling way better than somebody who doesn't. That's right, but, you know, you still would like to have people wearing masks, but Last time I went to a baseball game, I ate a hot dog and drank a beer, and I couldn't do either of those <laughs> Which things. Which is what you do at a baseball on. game, yeah, 100%. Well, so, so let me put you, I, I always put our, <laughs> our guests on the spot. So let me ask you, would you go, uh, if you had an opportunity to go to, uh, uh, say, today to Dodger Stadium, so you got 15,000 uh, other folks there, uh, would you feel comfortable? 
I think, well, uh, seeing as I have been vaccinated by now and, um, uh, uh, and, and if it's spaced out, I wouldn't be terribly worried about it. On the other hand, I probably would choose not to do it. All right. Dr. Donald Milton, Professor of Environmental Health, Airborne Viral Transmission, University of Maryland School of Public Health. American intelligence agencies periodically put out a report peering into the future. It's called the Global Trends Report. And the new one is out looking ahead to 2040. The future portrayed by the CIA doesn't look all that pretty. So what they're saying is more frequent and intense crises of all kinds. And uh, on top of all that, climate change. Diana Bolsinger, graduate director of the Intelligence National Security Studies Program at the University of Texas, El Paso. So, Diana, this doesn't sound too great. I would not necessarily agree with that wholeheartedly. First of all, it's important to be clear what this isn't. This isn't trying to predict the future. The National Intelligence Council and their sources are not saying we are doomed. What they are saying is if you look at the trends that are taking place right now, there are multiple scenarios, some of which are not good at all. There are a couple of them that actually are quite positive. Which way we go is going to depend on how we manage the trends that they're outlining for us now. Well, since we've already ticked off all the doom and gloom, what, what are some <laughs> the of the bad scenarios? Yeah. Give what, us the good what ones. What are the good scenarios? Well, in the first place, you always, and I have to say, I do consider the doom and gloom scenarios Plausible. It's not that I'm saying that they're not possible or even likely. What I am saying is, A, you will be making a major mistake anytime you bet against human resilience. B, the same technological trends that you see in the Global Trends 2040 highlighting as potential problems, for example, artificial intelligence eliminating jobs, uh, social media fueling extremism and partisanship, those same technologies can be used to solve problems. This is not a foreordained conclusion. It is a set of challenges that we face, that we must address, and how we address will determine whether we're facing doom and gloom or not. So how do we get on that right path? And we can take the technology part, right? It can do wonderful things. It can connect us. We're more connected than ever before. But also, on the flip side, we're kind of more fragmented than ever before. We have a problem with truth sometimes. So how do we point ourselves in the right direction? Number one... God, I wish I had the answer to that. <laughs> Truth in advertising, uh, I don't know. What I can say, and if you look in the global trends at the scenario Renaissance of Democracies, what they're envisioning includes, I think, the areas that we need to focus on. 
greater cooperation, well, again, we're fragmented. I recognize that that's hard, but if you look especially, I'm a university professor. I am working with students who, frankly, they impress me. They amaze me every day, and they work across, uh, together across the lines. There's hope there in the youth. Second, governments, including our own, need to focus on building the trust. They need to focus on the hard, tangible needs of the people, uh, rebuilding the economies, rebuilding the infrastructure. It's not going to be easy, but don't underestimate how far the human race has come so far. Yes, but we also screw things up a lot, too. Yes, we do. If I had to put my money, my money is unfortunately on a mixed scenario that doesn't fully fit into uh, any of the scenarios that they outline in the report. Face it, the report, they're trying to uh, codify things for a wide audience when the reality is we're looking at a spectrum. You're likely to see some areas of great strength and some areas that unfortunately slide into further poverty, and uh, that's going to be a problem. National security-wise, as well as regional stability, as well as the humanitarian challenges. Diana Bolsinger, Graduate Director, Intelligence National Security Studies Program, University of Texas, El Paso. Before that, uh, various analysts consulting roles for the intelligence agency. You know, we're scrappy. We'll get it together. It'll be tough, but we'll do it. The restaurant industry hiring again as more places are reopening or increasing their capacity. Employers are putting out the help wanted sign, but it turns out many restaurants are struggling to find help and fill vacant positions. WBBM's Cisco Cotto spoke with Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter for Crane's Chicago Business. So you have these restaurants, they've been waiting to get back open, they want to get back open, and now it sounds like they're struggling to find the workers they need to get back open. Yeah, it's true. It's become a huge problem in the restaurant industry, and I'm here in other industries too, but you know, everybody's eyes are kind of on the restaurant industry right now as everybody um, gets excited to go back out to eat. Are they at all talking about why they're having trouble finding? You'd figure there's unemployed people who either were working there or would like to work there. They just want a job. Right. So there's sort of like this perfect storm of all these different factors coming together to create this huge problem for the poor restaurant operators who have already been, you know, running at a loss for the better part of a year. But basically, you know, back in um, March and April last year, when everything had to shut down, the industry had to lay off a ton of workers. Um, It was a huge hit. And they were able to bring some back over the summer, you know, it's patio season, but then everything shut down again in October, November, December, reopened in January. It's been this real roller coaster for these restaurants. A lot of people left the industry. You know, they were like, we don't want to do this. They went back to school, went to something more stable. Some people left Chicago, um, you know, to go to areas that they weren't as strict with their restaurant restrictions. And then some people may just not be ready to go back yet. Restaurant workers just became eligible for their vaccine at the end of March. And at this point, they might want to wait for that. 
Um, others, you know, that they may be okay with the unemployment that they're getting, the stimulus money that they're getting. There's kind of a lot. And then at the same time, you know, every restaurant that survived the pandemic is trying to reopen and staff up right now on top of a normal hiring spree that goes on in the springtime to get ready for the summer. So there's kind of a lot playing into this. You know, we may not even know this yet. It may take a while to kind of get some of the numbers, but I'll bet this means restaurants are having to pay people more. They're, they're kind of in competition here. Yep, you're absolutely right. They're paying people more. They're offering more benefits. Um, some, they're poaching from other restaurants. You know, some are having to lower their expectations for the experience they usually ask for in their candidates and then are having to invest more in training. And again, all that stuff in a normal time, you know, would be one thing. But now after operating the loss for over a year, it's, it's going to be a hit to these restaurants. And the stakes are high, right? Because it could, the whole issue could basically slow down the reopening more than it already has been by rising COVID counts. When we come back, how in the world the rich are getting richer during this pandemic-induced recession, plus roller skating has been making a comeback. We are now seeing a deeper economic divide among the haves and have-nots. Billionaires got a lot richer over the last year, while many Americans are still trying to claw their way out of the financial distress. And experts believe this will lead to a K-shaped recovery when the wealthy will pull out of a recession faster and stronger while others will stagnate. KYW's Matt Leon spoke with David Fiorenza, associate professor of practice at Villanova School of Business. We've talked about the K-shaped economy. Uh, to his credit, the president, and I think when the, the big uh, COVID relief bill that passed last month put a lot of policies in place to try to combat that K-shaped economy, try to flatten things out, but uh, we're still seeing signs of the, the great divide, aren't we? Oh, we are. And with a Forbes magazine coming out with their list of billionaires, I think it's about 17 of them live in the state of Pennsylvania. And that's a good thing. I mean, they pay taxes uh, somewhat. In theory. Uh, in theory, <laughs> right. That's true. Good point there. You know, I looked at all the billionaires, about 86% of them are richer today than they were a year ago. Now, I don't begrudge them, but I'm thinking, what about the working man? What about the person who's delivering my food to Wawa or those who are delivering the gasoline to Sunoco or those who are just even delivering the retail goods to the local malls? So their wages have not gone up as much as you would see the billionaires go up. So there's going to be that wide gap. We mentioned that relief plan. Are you seeing anything in the indicators that indicates that that money, the programs have started to, to make headway into the economy? It has. And I've noticed the last week, this past week, and even the week before, I'm seeing a lot more lines at places like the local cafes, Starbucks, gas stations. They're starting to open up the economy more. I'm seeing more landscapers out on the road, which you should at this time of year. I'm seeing more delivery trucks, people doing power washing of their homes, all the, the rental centers, the Lowe's, Home Depots, even your nice little local uh, True Values stores. They're really hustling and bustling with business. Interesting. There is a push by the Biden administration uh, talking about the idea of a global corporate minimum tax rate, obviously trying to level the playing field. Is there anything is this something they're trying to raise higher or are there any kind of 
global agreements on what tax rates should be as they try to keep businesses on their own shores? Would this be something transformative or would this just be moving the number up the scale? Some of it's moving the number up to scale. I have not heard much from the WTO, which is the World Trade Organization, which is like considered your big chamber of commerce, if you will. Uh, I, I know the World Trade Organization is more about free trade and less tariffs than they are talking about corporate tax rates. I think the corporate tax rates from what I've seen would just be inching up to the levels of what we call pre-Trump levels, but not even up to the levels of where they were during the Obama administration, the Clinton administration. So it's a way to put some more money back into the into the coffers, maybe help pay the debt down a little bit, use it for programs. Uh, it sounds really good in theory. I want to see who else comes on board in some of these neighboring countries because you're not always comparing apples to apples when you speak about our great country versus another country. And wouldn't it be big, but it seems like a great idea in theory that it would prevent companies from throwing stuff overseas if they're not going to get the tax breaks, which is the main reason, you know, a lot of companies do it. Uh, and we kind of level it off and there's a lot of the incentives to move your corporation or move your operations are, are kind of taken away now. That's correct. They would be. Uh, and companies um, want to be here. They would try to offshore and go elsewhere. But even if the corporate tax rates go up, you're still going to see that balance in the cities and the states, the smaller cities that are struggling to give tax subsidies, tax breaks, tax increment financing, tax credits. So even if the corporate rate goes up to whatever that they want to put it to, you're still going to see at your state levels who are trying to attract business to the smaller areas. It could be it could be uh, Chester, it could be Coatesville, it could be Allentown, Bethlehem, it could be Camden, even Newark, uh, Delaware. So the cities still have a lot to offer with low taxes. Roller skates, remember those roller skates? I do. Yeah, well, they're they're coming back. Following its heyday in the 80s and 90s, roller skating is having a moment during the pandemic. Roller skating enthusiasts believe it's a fun way to exercise outdoors. Plus, we have social media that's driving the popularity. It's becoming so trendy, sellers are struggling to keep up with the demand. I feel like there were a lot of birthday parties, like skate parties when I was a kid. That was like the thing to do. Uh, Dave Weiss, owner of Los Angeles Skating Company, he's been selling skates for 43 years. Uh, So Dave, really? Making a comeback? We're seeing a lot of people buying roller skates for an outdoor activity that will give them the opportunity to be, you know, spaced far enough apart from other people. Uh, I don't know where it started. Maybe TikTok is what a lot of people have said. Um, but the industry's been kind of caught short a little bit. Uh, whatever inventory was available in the very beginning, uh, there was no manufacturing going on and exhausted all the roller skates of the bigger name brands. You've been uh, through the 80s and 90s when roller skating rinks were basically, you know, nightclubs for teenagers compared to, the, compared to uh, then. What does the current popularity of roller skates look like now? A little more popular uh, at this round, but there are more people, you know, living in the universe at this time, too. So maybe it rations out or balances that it's about the same popularity. Um, The big birth of the roller skate in the beginning was that it had an outdoor wheel. And, uh, of course, we have those now, and there's many, many refinements. Um, We're we're just really seeing um, more people wanting to go outside skating, Um, Even your indoor skaters are skating outside, Um, and skating has stayed popular throughout all the years. Um, 
I just think that the only problem that, uh, you know, with gathering, we can't have roller skating inside. But there's still parties going on in different parts of the neighborhood, like a pop-up. So we've talked about uh, businesses and companies running out of bikes and then kettlebells for workouts, you know, people doing stuff at home. You got the same thing? Shortages? Well, I actually started in the early part of the pandemic around April um, and May is where it started. Um, and people started to buy skates at that point. And then it increasingly got popular after that. Um, and it's still a really strong trend. Uh, the um, two big-name brands like SureGrip and Rydell um, are very popular, and then Moxie is quite popular. That's put out by Rydell as well. And those are the hard skates to get. Um, there's kind of like a moratorium on uh, the Moxie brand. We can't order any more skates other than what was already pre-ordered or any wheels from that brand. But the Rydell brand can be ordered. Um, we just have to wait until they're manufactured. Um, and it looks like it's about three months out for something you'd order today. Uh, as a person who's been selling skates for more than four decades, why do you think they keep coming back? Well, I think the feeling of rolling is probably the most fun part of skating. Um, and it exercises every part of your body when you're roller skating because you have all this twisting and turning. So it works mid you know, mid part of the body as well as all of your legs and your heart rate. And it's just really great uh, cardio exercise, better than running. It's less uh, pounding on the body and things like that. And with the soft wheels today, it makes it such a smooth ride. Um, it's a really fun uh, and great exercise. And I think the key thing is somebody just has to have balance. Um, and it's, I've loved skating. I've been doing it my whole life. So I have the greatest time on a pair of roller skates. Dave White, Los Angeles Skate Company. Dave, thanks. You can find this uh, Odyssey original on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. So when you were a kid, you had a lot of skating parties? Yeah, there were skate parties. Like, like King Skate was what it was called. You yeah. used to go and like eat popcorn and skate around. They played music. No, no, no. We had chariots. <laughs> Thank you.